Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we're talking all about the episode from The Bad Batch, episode two, Cut and Run. So pumped. This episode aired May 7th, 2021, and it was written by Gersimran Sando and directed by Brad Rao and Stuart Lee. So excited. I really enjoyed this episode. Caitlin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I really loved this episode. Uh, this episode, soft. <laughs> That's my, so soft. <laughs> my keyword for this episode is soft. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. Um, we talked about this, about Bad Batch as a whole being this sequel, this extension to Clone Wars. And I think this episode in particular really had that Clone Wars feeling, you know, that whatever Mm -hmm. that is, it had it in this episode. And I really enjoyed it. It really did have a Clone Wars feeling. I, I, obviously because of the connections to a character that we met in the Clone Wars, but there's something about that atmosphere, the pace. I don't know. It felt really familiar. It was nice. Yeah, it was. And just in full disclosure, if you listened to our last episode where we covered the premiere of Bad Batch, you know that Charlotte and I were lucky enough to receive screeners for Bad Batch uh, prior to its official release on May the 4th. And we did actually also receive a screener for Cut and Run uh, ahead of time. So this is being recorded prior to the Bad Batch premiere in general. So Whatever huge news has come out from May the 4th, May the 5th, May the 6th, or May the 7th, <laughs> we do not know it yet. But again, we're, we're very grateful to have been able to see these episodes early. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the writer that we have for this episode, Gersimran Sandu. Um, I had not seen her name before on... Clone Wars on really anything Star Wars related. And I know last week, it's funny, we have been, um, for the last episode, we've been talking about how there are a lot of names that we're super familiar with involved with Bad Batch. And then, of course, we get to episode two, and I'm like, who is this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do still have our directors, Brad Rao and Stuart Lee, that we uh, have seen before in a lot of other places in Star Wars animation. But Gersimran was, I'd never seen her work before but actually it turns out she has worked on game of thrones for a number of years and uh yeah she was kind of directly involved uh with the writers on game of thrones really it seems like from her imdb page really from like 2015 through the end of game of thrones and now on her website she it lists that she is uh, a writer for an upcoming disney plus Uh, show and also that she is a freelance writer for the bad batch which i thought was just a really a really interesting trajectory (laughs) um and i i don't know if that means we'll see her again somewhere in bad batch since she's credited she credits herself on her website as a freelance writer for bad batch um so i don't know if this is like her only episode for bad batch or if we will see more from her later on I hope so, because I, I really enjoyed her writing on this episode. So, yeah, I was excited. Like I said, there are a lot of people that we know from Lucasfilm already working on Bad Batch, but it's great to see them bringing in new voices as well. And, of course, we're always talking about the need for more representation uh, in Star Wars. And Gersimran is a woman of color, writer, lead writer, it seems, for this episode, which is really great to see. Totally. I was really excited about this. And it's an interesting leap from Game of Thrones to animated Star Wars. And 
I think she did a great job. I hope that this isn't a short-lived gig. I hope that there's a sort of like contracted basis where she can come back and write another episode or maybe she's not officially part of the writer's room or something. I don't know. But I really liked this episode, so I'd love to see more of her her work. Yeah. We also don't know, right? It says that she's a writer on an upcoming Disney Plus series. Yeah, and and producer too. Yeah, yeah. And there are a number of Star Wars shows coming up for Disney Plus. So, you know, it could be any of those too. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed her her take on the Star Wars universe. And it, it's kind of crazy considering she is a new writer for Star Wars. And this, like we said, this episode felt so Clone Wars, had that quote unquote Clone Wars feeling. And mm-hmm. it, it works so seamlessly. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so should we dive straight into the episode itself? Let's do it. All right, so what was your first reaction for this second episode of Bad Bat, Charlotte? Like you, I thought it was super soft and nice. And like I said, I, I had a really good, familiar feeling and everything about it I really enjoyed. I think from a story perspective, it fully makes sense that this would be the first place that the Bad Batch goes after their separation from everything on Camino and because they are deserters and they have to come to terms with that and I think that that first conversation that they have when they're going through basically like the farmland um and tech is is like yeah we're, we're deserters so what's the deal you know on the scale of thinking about former clones and their lives after the war I think cut the character in, uh, who's from the Clone Wars, who's in this episode, he represents someone who is so far from his life as a clone. Uh, now he has a family that he cares for on farmland and in the middle of nowhere, right? And I think that this is Bad Badge going from like one extreme to another and trying to find their place within it all. And I thought it was really interesting. The Deserter is the episode from season two of The Clone Wars that Cut first appears in. I think that's actually his only appearance, uh, his like direct appearance in Star Wars. So it's been a long time (laughs) since we've seen him. And I could be wrong. This could exist in other material outside of any of the TV shows. But I don't I don't know where the Bad Batch met Cut. Do you? Mm, no, but it doesn't really matter to me. Like, no, no, it doesn't. Yeah. I because the uh, hunter was like, oh, I know just where to go, and of course the kids know the rest of the Bad Batch. They don't know Echo, and I was like, oh, was 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 cut in another episode of the Clone Wars that I just don't remember, and I don't think he was. So this happened somewhere else or it's just like inferred that they've met before you can at me and correct me if i'm wrong but uh (laughs) yeah he first appeared in season two uh and his story was directly tied to rex and of course Mm -hmm. we get mention of rex in this episode where cut is like yeah he he was just he just passed through yesterday (laughs) and um i thought this episode like i said we both said this episode is like super soft and this episode like Hunter and Omega are really kind of the centerpiece of this episode. And it's about Hunter like this, the whole theme, I think the takeaway is about Hunter understanding what it means to actually be responsible for Omega. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so it makes perfect sense to bring him back to someone who he recognizes in cut as a former, uh, not a former clone, but a former part of the clone army, right? He's still kind of still a clone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but someone else who has kids and someone else who also left the war. And what do they do 
now. And I thought it was interesting because Cut at one point tells Hunter, like, all you can do now is stop fighting and, like, go find yourself a piece of land. But it's clear that that's probably not going to be Hunter's trajectory, even now that he has this kind of greater understanding of what it means to be responsible for Omega. Right. I thought that was really interesting because I think that, like I mentioned, I think that it shows an extreme that I don't think the Bad Batch are going to latch onto, but that doesn't mean that they won't take pieces from what they've experienced with Cut into their their future. I think that something that's interesting is in this episode, we already see uh, the Bad Batch taking steps to skirt the Imperial systems that they've put in place with the chain codes and everything. And in our last episode, we talked about whether or not we're going to see uh, the Bad Batch help out the rebellion at all, or even the beginnings of the rebellion, or Saw Gerrera or any other uh, any of those characters. And I think by seeing that sort of defying the new rules, uh, we're already seeing that that beginning of that defiance. Yeah, and I thought that this it was great to kind of put all of, like this episode did a really good job of right like making it about Hunter and Omega and like their relationship together, but also kind of overlaying it with a look how quickly things are changing for these other planets and the fact that they need a chain code now that the Empire is setting up. I forget what they call it, but they're like setting up base. They're not. Mm-hmm. Um, Like they're setting up – they're continuing to set up military presence on this planet and Hunter makes note of that. Like we're not at war. Why are they setting up a military base? And Cut is like, yeah, it's not going to – you know, it's going to be harder to leave the planet than I thought. And I thought it was was good because like we talked about in our last episode – Part of this series is going to be showing all the ways that the Empire is taking over, becoming that dictatorship in a way that is different from the Republic and is basically just an extension of the war with all of this military presence that they're going to be installing on all of these planets, presumably. And this is just kind of their first taste of it with these chain codes. And in our conversation from last episode, just about like individuality and the clones and everything like that, Tech and uh, Echo have uh, like a very telling conversation about this when they're getting the chain codes, right? Where Tech is like, you know, clones wanted so much not to be a number that we got names, like either given to us by the Jedi or that we chose for ourselves. And now people are lining up to have a number assigned to them. And it might have been Echo that was talking about that. And Tech was like, yeah, it's ingenious, really. You have this database of the entire galaxy. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really scary. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot. I think that it's it's interesting because the Empire would need this information on everybody for obvious reasons to hunt down any traitors to keep track of everyone to be a you know malevolent force that they are. But also, I think that we know in the back of our mind, like this is also to keep track of people like Jedi, to keep track of people like Skywalkers and things like that. So. It, 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 I, I really liked that conversation because it put things in perspective for our characters at large. But as Star Wars fans, we're like, whoa, that's a yeah. lot. And I thought it was I thought it was really interesting because the policy is you could in order to use Republic credits, you have to trade them in to register. So they're holding money hostage, basically. So you can't buy anything for yourself without submitting to the empire yeah i think we saw this like throughout rebels too of the like propaganda of the empire and i think we're gonna see a lot of that in bad batch and we got a little taste of it here with that uh 
that hollow of that empire officer, imperial mm-hmm. officer being like, due to the generosity of the of the newly established galactic empire, you just have to trade in your now useless Republic credits and we'll we'll just, you know, um, what's the word? Uh, exchange it for imperial currency and also give you that chain code you need. And it, yeah, it's it's very chilling. And I wonder what other pieces of propaganda we'll see. And we also already saw the hollow from last episode with Palpatine, too, where he's espousing, you know, the evil Jedi and what they did to him. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, having these chain codes, of course, because like most of our characters that our stories are about are on the run. And so it just makes moving throughout the galaxy so much more difficult, which is a, a constant plot device in Star Wars. Of <laughs> yeah. we got to get off planet. How are we going to get on planet? Fake. Oh these my god, codes. they're tracking <laughs> us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a constant <laughs> plot device. So uh, it was good to see this kind of formally set up uh, in this episode. Totally. I also want to mention that we know because in Revenge of the, this is like a little aside, but we know in Revenge of the Sith that. Salukamai has fallen because we heard Obi-Wan say that to Anakin when he was late for that one briefing. And so obviously now we're seeing the Empire basically fully take over. And I think to your point about why is there a military establishment here is because the uh because there was just a battle here and that literally just happened, you know, and and uh, I think that in that briefing, Obi-Wan says that the council has asked Master uh, Quinlan Voss to take the troops to Boss Pitchy. Mm. So I feel like, yeah, we're seeing the after effects of a battle won and uh, um, now lost. Ah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It, it occurred to me just now also that if you haven't seen this episode with the deserter, uh, maybe we should like briefly summarize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so this episode is back in season two of The Clone Wars, which Cheryl and I were talking before we started recording. And like season two of The Clone Wars has some hits. Yeah, it like, it, it does. <laughs> some real bops in season two yeah. of The Clone Wars. I think a lot of people will tell you like season three is when they get like all new character models. And that's like really when the the production value kind of kicks it up a couple notches, which is true. But season two, man, great episodes in season two. Holocron Heist with Cad Bane is in season two. Lightsaber Lost, this episode. Um, we're introduced to Satine in this in this season. Uh, we have some Boba content in season two. Season two is just like a good – Great Invaders is in season yep. two. My God. Um, anyway, season two Zillow is great. Beast. Zillow Beast, rip your heart out. Season two. (laughs) Good stuff in season two if you haven't uh, gone back to it recently. But uh, this episode, The Deserter, is in season two. And it does take place on this planet. And basically, Rex gets injured uh, while they're they're hunting General Grievous. And Rex gets injured with his, like, four-man crew where they're trying to track General Grievous. They leave him overnight in this barn to recover. And uh, he's there, Rex is there recovering when, and there's like this mom and her two kids that have let him stay in this barn overnight uh, due to his injury. And the kids are like, oh, Rex looks like our dad. And Rex is like, that's weird. Could be my injury though, making me hear things. And then later the dad shows up and the dad turns out to be a clone who deserted uh, his post basically and his name is cut and Rex it's like I think it's one of the first times that we see really in the series of Rex questioning his role 
uh, as a clone, his purpose, what it means. And Cut is really the person who is having these conversations with him. And Cut basically details about how, you know, when he was with his platoon or whatever, they were hunted down. I don't know what you, I don't remember. (laughs) His group, his friends. And they were all attacked and hunted down and they were all left for dead. And when he saw the enemy coming to basically finish off whoever was still alive, he uh, knew then that that was his only chance to run. And so he ran. He eventually met uh, Sue, who he fell in love with and married and adopted her two kids. And he's been living this like domestic farm life ever since. And uh, he is the he, I think he's one of the first people too that we really hear start talking about like free will and free choice and freedom of choice in mm-hmm. to, about clones and uh, like really questioning what their purpose was and if it was fair what they were created to do and what they were expected to do and Rex like they have this tension like Rex doesn't Rex is like I'm gonna turn you in like you're a deserter. And uh, basically, by the end of the episode, uh, Rex has to help Cut defend his family from these battle droids that the kids awoke, stumbled upon. And uh, in the end of it, Rex like has great respect for Cut and is like, "I'm not going to turn you in. I'm just going to say that I had amnesia or something." <laughs> uh, but it was it's a really it's a, a very soft episode too, which makes sense, right, for what we see in this and now in this episode, Cut and Run. And I rewatched the episode The Deserter, and um, the kids are so much smaller. Like, they grew oh. up. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man. And I hadn't watched The Deserter in a long, you know, time. a long time. And I was like, oh, my God, they grew up. They're taller now. <laughs> Look how tall they've gotten. Uh, but it, it was really great. And, like, in that, in that episode, Cut basically says he's like, you know, I don't fight for the Republic anymore, but – I will fight just as hard for my family. And that was my choice. And like, that means something. Damn. Damn. And yeah. Yeah. He's got some good <laughs> intense. Like I trust him with my life. Yeah. Same. <laughs> no wonder anyway. Hunter wanted to give Omega to him. Like, hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love the domesticness of this yeah, episode. Yeah. Like seeing the kids playing outside and all the adults around the table inside. And as soon as one of the other kids runs in, it's like Omega went outside the fence. Like every single adult like springs into action and you've got Sue up on the roof with her like sniper and 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 like hunter is like outside of the fence immediately like protecting omega and i just i i loved it because like we were talking about before like having kids kid characters in star wars is really important especially for a show like this an animated show which is going to probably have a very large um audience who is younger Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I wanted to mention another really good moment in this episode was, and I feel like it was a really quick, almost um, easily missable moment, was when Omega runs outside to play for the first time with the other kids. Everyone looks at Hunter in that moment and he's kind of surprised, like, why is everyone looking at me? And it was it was an interesting moment because I think that we're going to talk about Hunter and Omega in a, in a second, but I feel like it was a moment of Hunter being like, Oh, am I responsible for that human? Oh, does everyone realize that? Wow, wow. that's like, 
am I, I it was dad vibes and I feel like da- dad and fatherly figure is like a really big word, but that's exactly what was happening, you know? Yeah. And I, the fact that everyone was kind of recognizing that it was so quick. I'm telling you, it was a really quick moment. Did you catch that, Caitlin? But I, I don't it was, know if re- did, it was yeah. good. It was good. Go back and watch it. It was a good moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, kind of just to move on to Hunter and Omega, you know, this episode was, again, about Hunter realizing what exactly he's taken on in going back for Omega. And mm-hmm. everyone in this episode, multiple people, mainly Cut and Sue, are telling Hunter, like, she is not a clone or she's not just a clone. She's not a soldier. She's a child. And mm-hmm. children get into trouble. And that's what they're going to do. And that's their job at this age is to get into trouble. And our job as their parents is to protect them. And again, it, it was just such like a, I don't know, like a nice familial vibe. I Like yeah. I, I love Cut and Sue's little family and their little house. And I'm sad they had to leave it. <laughs> same, same. I, hope they have, I hope they're okay. I, I know. They- I'm like, where are they going to go now? Like what planet are they going to be able to get on to? It just it made me sad. But o- Omega has such uh, – like she's – for me, visually in this episode in particular, she's drawing a lot of parallels to some of our other characters across Star Wars, specifically in the beginning to Rey of never leaving the planet Camino, her experience like walking onto dirt for the first time and like I don't know like outside mm-hmm. <laughs> um we don't I haven't seen that much of Camino. I've never seen land on Camino. So I don't like does it ever stop raining? I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> so Omega like leaving the ship for the first time, touching dirt and just kind of like breathing everything in had very big like ray energy for when she leaves Jakku in The Force Awakens. And and then also, of course, like when she goes off to play with um, Cut and Sue's kids and we cut back to Hunter and Cut and Cut asks you know who's the girl who's the kid such force awakens totally uh, you know han and ma's who's the girl conversation i was like whoa <laughs> okay um and then uh, after after uh, omega gets in trouble for playing outside the fence or going to get the ball and she's like kind of uh, processing all of that and she's in the cockpit of the bad batch's ship and she like takes off her camino and camino and headpiece and she's just kind of looking at it we saw very similar shots of ezra at the beginning and end of rebels of him uh, in the cockpit of the ghost uh, looking at pictures of his parents and that whole kind of like just i don't know like in the ship by yourself thinking about what just happened and, like, who you are and where you came from. It just – I really liked those beats with Omega because it reminded me of these other characters, especially with Ezra, who is very childlike. He is a child at the beginning of, of Rebels and his whole journey that he goes on. And then that kind of wide-eyed innocence um, that – I don't want to say Ray was wide-eyed and innocent, but that, um, like, experiencing – the rest of the galaxy for the first time is is really important and it just goes to show like how um like lonely ray was and i think it has the same effect for omega too of how lonely she was and she didn't know how to play with a ball like she didn't know what fun was she probably hasn't interacted with other kids um i just found it was really sweet and i liked that the immediate next episode of this show was diving into just how much of a child Omega was and how she is resourceful and she's spunky and confident and brave, 
but she's still a child. She's still a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was going to say the same thing. I think it's a bold move for them to – in the second episode of the show that I think we, – we talked about this last episode, but it's on the surface, the show feels like a guy's show. It feels like a masculine show. And on – and I feel like in this episode, they let Omega be a kid and have that childlike wonder. And I'm pretty sure if Ray was also, I don't know how old Omega is, maybe like 10. I feel like if Ray was 10 and she had left Jekko, she would also have danced around in the dirt. And if no one else was there, maybe Ray would have done that too. But regardless, I think that it was it was really nice because the music really went along with that childlike joy too. It oh, like yeah. danced along with her. And I thought it was great. And it's really nice when Star Wars allows kids to be kids and we're, they're allowed to experience joy. Uh, it feels rare sometimes in Star Wars in, in, in a series that is often playing on the heartstrings a lot um, yeah. for sadness. I feel like there was also a really nice transformation moment when she removes the headpiece and her hair, it gets kind of ruffled and down. And I think she's getting appropriately like sort of messier and more like accustomed to the Bad Batch as as the crew. You know, she's like one of the boys now, but also not at the same time. She's just coming into her own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That scene after she, whatever that creature was, right? And Hunter is like, what are you doing? You could have been killed. And and Cut comes up and is like, that's not what we need here. And he like bends down. He's like, are you hurt? Are you okay? You're safe Aww. now. That's all that matters. And then he like you know? picks her up. I legitimately teared up. I was like, She's so sad. And <laughs> you know, I feel like we've all as kids experienced that like extreme heightened emotion that you have no idea what to do with. You just yeah. want to be comforted because that's how it is being a kid is yeah. having so many different feelings that you don't know what to do with. Yeah. And and in that in that uh moment where you do something that you're not supposed to do right like she like I like I remember one of my nieces was playing near uh the railing of the porch one time and like climbed up on the top of it and we all like yelled at her and she got she just started sobbing because she couldn't understand why we were so upset but it was like you would have fallen like she like it looked like she was climbing you know and it's like Mm -hmm. that anger is from a place of fear of like are you okay? Like, no, you're going to get hurt. And that like immediate reaction of just don't do that. I don't want you to get hurt. And afterwards it was just like so many hugs. I'm like, it's okay. We're not mad at you. We just want you to be okay. That's why we were so scared. That's why we yelled, you know? And it's like, you can't often help those kinds of reactions. And I guess it like immediately made me think of that with Omega too. Cause like she, did something quote unquote wrong by going outside the fence, but she didn't really understand that. Like she didn't get why the other kids were like, no, you can't go outside the fence. Like she doesn't know. She's literally never been outside in her life. <laughs> and it's everyone... like the most extreme it could get. Like, literally, she's literally, literally never played outside. <laughs> literally never touched dirt. Can't cannot name a ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and yeah, and anyway, I, I just I loved that moment where Hunter was like so upset and angry, but you know that it's also because he's so scared because he's the one in throughout both episodes actually that has been like where is omega if you hurt like not if anything happens to omega i'm like he doesn't finish the sentence right like things are gonna go down he's like we have to go back for her um she's on the ship like he's really been the one leading the is omega okay even though he doesn't really know how to properly communicate with her quite yet or what it really means to like be a parent to be in charge of her 
And I just, I loved that moment with Cut where it was like, the only thing that matters is that you're safe. It's okay. And he just like picks her up and just like walks back with her. And Wrecker in the back too is like, Omega, are you okay? <laughs> and Cut is like, she'll be fine. And he- I love Wrecker. Wrecker and Omega's relationship in this is actually really sweet. And I feel like in the beginning when they're like both oh. fell asleep together. <laughs> Like, oh my god, this is so cute. And then when Omega and when Wrecker helps Omega and and at the very end, basically when they're trying to get the the chain code passes, it's just like their bond is just really cute. And I can't wait to see more of it. And just like one more like funny Wrecker moment is I loved him benching the gonk droid who's clearly in distress at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I know we've seen Wrecker kind of bench these like (laughs) <laughs> crazy things before but a full-on gonk droid that's like squirming was really funny <laughs> <laughs> poor I guy record yeah. his poncho tail i just I he's really grown on me like i think that in the beginning i was sort of um annoyed by him and now i i just I feel like he's so funny and I love him and he's so soft. And I think they're doing a really good job of writing him and making him yeah. like a, a, a funny, soft character. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other side of it is Tech, who I think like actually just treats Omega like everyone else. Yeah. Which is nice. It's always <laughs> yeah. good. I think that that on the flip side of the whole conversation about like, it's good to let kids be kids, but it's also good to like, not talk to, to kids like yeah. they're not you know incapable of learning yeah i i love the moment when they're on the ship and text like i had this great plan we're gonna impound the ship gonna get the chain codes and we're gonna unimpound the ship and it's gonna be awesome and <laughs> and hunter goes yeah one problem omega's on the ship <laughs> And you just see that, like, camera pan of Tech and Echo <laughs> looking to the cockpit and Omega's like, it's a really good plan, Tech. <laughs> and then, of course, like, Tech and Echo are the ones that send her off with the chain codes. Like, yeah, Echo's or Omega's got it. Don't worry. And they're like, you sent Omega? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's fine. She's coming. <laughs> And just it was, it was it was really great, and of course we can't forget that you know the other piece of this, right? And like Hunter's whole realization of like these examples of kids always getting themselves into trouble um, near the end of the episode, where he tells Cut that he wants them to take Omega with him, with them and the kids, and that I think he says something like, "You guys can give her something that I can't or that we don't have," you know, like a family, basically parents, a stable lifestyle, and oh my God, when she comes back and. She's like, you know, tech made an extra chain code. I don't know why. That like broke my heart. <laughs> oh my God. It was so sad. And and what broke my heart more is when she is just looking up at Hunter and she goes, did I do something wrong? <laughs> oh, it hurts so bad. And the thing is like Hunter doesn't really have an answer for her. He doesn't. He's just like, this will be better for you. As a kid, like, you don't get that. You don't understand. It's like I I want to know more about Omega and what she – because my guess would be that Omega did a lot of research on the Bad Batch by herself, like, in her own time. And Mm -hmm. that's how she becomes so attached to them, like, before they even get there. Because in the last episode, she's like, oh, my God, you're back. Like, great. (laughs) Like, she already knows who they are, wants to hang out with them, really latches herself onto Hunter. And, yeah, so I, you know, she must have looked into them because, 
right? She's some kind of mutated clone too. Uh, and those are the only other people like her. And I don't know. I'm just very interested in, like, I am interested in her background. I don't want it to be like a huge mystery box situation. I hope it's something we find out pretty soon. Yeah. And and even on that topic too, right? Like when they first get to Cut's house, when when Cut is saying like, oh yeah, Rex was here yesterday talking about behavioral implants. And Omega's like, yeah, it's the chip. It's the behavioral chip. <laughs> and Hunter goes, what's that? I'm like, weren't you guys talking about this last episode? <laughs> and Tech is like, yeah, it's a chip. And Hunter goes, you didn't say that. He's like, well, what else did you think it was? <laughs> but uh, also not concerned at all, Tech. But Omega knew all about it. She She's the one that explained it first, which I was like, okay, yeah, she's she's been dipping into some records that she probably uh, was not supposed to be on, on Camino. Yeah, it's funny because after looking into the Kaminoans and just like remembering all that happened in the Clone Wars, I forgot that uh, the Kaminoans were, were said that the, the behavioral chip, the the implant in in their brains, was to kind of make them more docile uh, in comparison to Jango Fett, and to be able to control those like basically, as I understand it, like hormonal levels or something like that. And uh, but we now know, obviously, that that had more to do with controlling them for war as in uh order 66 and everything like that so i think there's like this weird discrepancy where they don't really know what it all means um exactly they just know that a bad thing happened and this exists inside of you and how do we work around that yeah i think we're gonna be hearing a lot more about the inhibitor (laughs) chips like yeah a lot more. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that you mentioned that Omega knows about the fact that there's chips. Like, it, it is an interesting question. Like, does she have one? It, in what case does she have one? If it, is it is it the same as like the military codes of like Order sixty six, or is it completely different? And will we see that come up again? I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. You had put in our notes to talk about the fact that her name is Omega. Yes, I want to talk about this. I think it's really interesting because first off, when her name was released in that initial trailer that came out in like March, everyone was like, oh, interesting. Like Omega is Omega means last. It's it's the last character in the Greek alphabet. It's it's the final, right? There's a sense of finality to that name. And a lot of people were speculating that maybe Omega is the last clone. But we know that's not true because in the last episode, we saw basically like babies, baby clones being created. So there's more clones that are being created. Maybe they'll stop production, which is dark in itself to even consider. But I think it's more to do with the fact that she's the final member of the Bad Batch, that she completes the crew, that she is like, if you consider hunter as the alpha of the group she is the omega as in the last member um and i honestly feel like it's as simple as that just because of dave filoni's obsession with wolves (laughs) and (laughs) that omega would be quote like the lowest ranked wolf in the pack but i do think that there's like there's some sense of like ominousness about the fact that her name is omega that it just feels different, and I I think there's more. To, there could be more to it. I don't know if there is, but for me, I'm I'm like she's the last member of the Bad Batch. Of course, her name is Omega, but what else does that mean? But I don't think that she's the last clone. I kind of thought, yeah, because I I definitely had 
thought about her being the last clone when her name was first released. But you're right. Like we saw all these other clones still being, for lack of a better word, produced and grown. Like there's not like a great way to talk about that. But but I guess per our conversation about the first episode and the chance that maybe like what exactly is Omega's mutation, like calling her Omega, maybe she is the – the version that they were always working towards of like she was set to be the version like the quote-unquote perfect type of clone who had a certain level of independence but could still be easily controlled and like even talking about the possibility of like the best thing in the world would be for like an empire be to have four sensitive people you could control and manipulate so maybe she is like omega she's that iteration of that kind of clone Mm. that they were maybe always working towards i don't know we still don't know if that's true for omega but i i still think that's a possibility yeah i think that's a good point too to bring up about the fact that they're always tinkering with the clones and maybe omega is like the perfect specimen or was about to be but the fact that she has uh that she's like the bad batch and that she has a mutations makes me not think that but again this goes to our conversation that we had in the last episode about what is the ideal clone for the Kaminoans is it people who can be mind controlled or is it people like the Bad Batch who can work together as a team and defeat their enemy um, like they did in that simulation and is it valuable to have these both of these and what what do they think basically like what does the empire think is a is a good clone um or a good soldier i guess and i don't know it's 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 a really interesting name i think it it feels it doesn't feel very star wars to me to have a name like omega it doesn't it because it has a meaning outside of like a bunch of different characters or i don't know if that makes sense does that make sense to you like it feels It feels significant to have this kind of name. Yeah, I think it will, like, I think we'll find out the reason later on. Yeah. Because we still, like, there's still, there is, like, this, you know, mystery box around Omega still. And I think we'll find out. And it's interesting, too, because when Cud asks Hunter who she is, and he's like, well, she's mutated clone, just like us. And Cud is like, no, it's more than that. Like, they don't make clones without a purpose. So what's hers? And Hunter yeah. says, it doesn't matter. Uh, she's with us now, basically. And, you know, you're watching and you're like, Hunter, it's going to matter. <laughs> it does matter. It's going to matter. It will matter. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you figure it out sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that she is fundamentally good, though. I want to put that out there. I don't think that she has, like, she's not, like, sinister or created for a purpose that she could have been created for a violent purpose, but I don't think that she is that. And I, I feel like in terms of the conversation about like, we don't know her purpose. I still feel like we should trust her fully in this show, in this series, because even talking about like, if we want to think about Hunter as the alpha and um, Omega as the Omega, I think that it's very clear that both Hunter and Omega are going to have the most, like, the the clearest character arcs, especially in the end where Hunter says, to tell you the truth, kid, I guess I've got a lot to, uh, to tell you the truth, kid, I guess I've got a lot to learn, too. If this is where you want to be, then this is where you'll stay. And I feel like it's very clear that they both have (laughs) a lot of work to do as, as 
he says. And these are going to be the most progressive story arcs. And they're sort of on this journey together, whether they'll reflect each other or grow apart. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, I I absolutely trust Omega and believe that she is – I mean, she's a child, right? Like, yeah, she, yeah. she is good. And I wouldn't be surprised if – like, if this is true, right, of her being the, like, perfect specimen of a clone and what they ultimately – what the Kaminoans ultimately wanted to do with her. I don't think – maybe she, like, doesn't know that purpose, you know? Uh, because the other piece of this, too, is remembering that uh, – they let her go. Nala say, let her go, which still big question mark there <laughs> yeah. of what that purpose was. So yeah, I think there's still so much up in the air with Omega, but I think she is inherently good. And the the things that she's going to learn outside of Camino with the Bad Batch are only going to like keep putting her on this path of becoming like a really a fully realized person uh, where she might not have had that on Camino, right? Where some of these clones like, right, they're trained to be clones and to follow orders. Okay. So I think we're kind of reaching the end of our discussion of this episode. I, I really loved it and I thought it was great and I cannot wait to see what happens next. What did you think? How does this rank? I mean, I guess we only have two episodes How now. How does this rank? How does this rank <laughs> in the two episodes? But who was your favorite clone? Let's sum it up. I mean, it's still – I still love Tech. Tech is probably still my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Tech and Wrecker relationship. I just think it's so fun. Uh, they didn't have like a ton of time together in this episode. But anyway, they're still my favorites. Uh, but I love all of them. And the Hunter-Omega relationship is – oh, man. Already getting so heavy, <laughs> heavy in the feels. <laughs> and Echo, too, I thought was really great in this episode because he – we didn't really touch a lot on him, but he's the one who's also really questioning Hunter about what they're doing. Yeah. Tech, again, Tech and Wrecker are kind of like, all right, if we've got Omega, we've got Omega. And they're, like, happy to just keep going with what they're doing. And even at the end, when they're getting on the ship, Wrecker is like, we can't go yet. Omega's not here. And Hunter is like, she's not coming. But of course, Omega shows up at the very end. But like, Hunter didn't even tell Tech and Wrecker that he was going to have Omega go with Cut and Sue, right? But Echo is the one who is kind of like that other uh, sounding board for Hunter, it really feels like, where he's like, in the beginning, he's like, what are we going to do with her? Like, she's a child. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that's interesting that Echo is kind of being presented as this, not foil, but just like other voice of reason and uh, I guess kind of logical perspective, because what are they going to do with her? She's a child. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we're not really getting that from Tech and Wrecker. And Wrecker, of course, is the most like childlike of the group. So he's he like has a buddy <laughs> in Omega. And again, Tech is just Tech treats everyone the exact same so far. It's just I think it's interesting. Well, I think just to add to the conversation with Echo, I think you're so right that Echo provides a voice in in Hunter's head that questions things. And I think he has that unique ability because he's a reg, right, who's now an altered clone that fits in to the Bad Batch in his own way. And I think there's probably like there's something interesting about how Echo is part of the group, but also separate with his own experiences and a lot of trauma there to unpack where I'm sure he is like, wow, this is there's a lot of changes happening. The Empire is new and 
and I left my squadron to be with you all. And who knows if I would be alive today had I not done that. And it's it's really interesting to consider all that, right? And yeah. I, I think that you bring that up is a good point because I really do think that Echo will continue to provide this are you sure about this kind of mentality, you know? And, and if, if the entire group is like, no, we're just like going on our own way. Like, like we always do, you know, we've always done this. We're our own separate group. We're clone force 99. And I think echo is still new to the group. So he has this unique perspective to be like, is this really the smartest thing to do? Uh, it's, it's not like old times guys. Like, I, I know I'm new here, but now we have a kid with us and we have to make different choices than we did in the past, you know? Yeah. So is Hunter still your favorite? Yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. like such a sucker for this this relationship between basically like the archetype of father and daughter. I'm like totally here for this. I, I feel like it's it's going to be so good. It's already pulling at my heartstrings and we're only in episode two. Are you kidding me? It's going to get so much heavier. <laughs> <laughs> I know we don't even have like an an idea of where they're headed to next. We love the Anakin and Ahsoka relationship basically for this similar reason. Like anytime they have this conversation and I feel like this is even uh, the Hunter and Omega relationship is actually already way deeper than the Master and Padawan relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka because this one, it really establishes at the forefront that Omega is a child and this and Hunter is an adult and there's this father daughter relationship happening and will be forged together. Well, in the Clone Wars, we're aware of Anakin and Anakin's end and how that has to do with Ahsoka. So we're also always on edge there, but we live for those cute moments. And yeah. I, I think that it's it's just interesting because I'm now on edge about what's going to happen to this crew and if we're going <laughs> to lose anyone and everything like that. It's just like, oh my no, God, No, so no, much. no, no. We're not even going to. It's too early to start talking about that. <laughs> Something interesting about this episode is that there's only one singular mention of Crosshair and they're still kind of brushing that all under the rug. I think he says that it's complicated between them and in, in Crosshair when cut ass. And I think it's it's interesting because I think in that last episode, we were like, oh, there's just going to be a lot to deal with there. And I don't think they're going to deal with it. I think that they're going to be like emotionally arrested about the fact that they lost <laughs> someone and not deal with it. And the normal Star Wars way of not talking about your feelings. <laughs> so, yeah. Part of the course. Part of the yeah, course. part of the course. And then yeah. it's all going to boil. And to at a boiling point, we're going to see like basically a really bad situation happen (laughs) where they catch up with each other yeah yeah well maybe in the next episode they'll be because they kind of like they arrived on the planet pretty immediately in this episode so maybe in the next episode we'll see them kind of be like so because right they've been kind of threading this more and more conversation about these the the chips right? Mm -hmm. Like the well-documented chips that no one knows about. Uh, So they've been talking about it each episode. So I think they'll start to put two and two together with Crosshair. And I think we'll just kind of continue to see this uh, piece of information threaded throughout the episodes. And then it's like, oh, can we reverse it on Crosshair? Are they going to be able to? Or remind you of my super angsty theory that Crosshair will take Omega at some point and bad things will happen. Also, remembering that Omega last episode said, I know what you're going to do, and it's not your fault. That could be for something very far in the future that she's referring to, not just what happened in that episode, you know? They're laying the groundwork. <laughs> yeah. So, That's what these episodes are, laying the groundwork. Yeah. 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 Just going just gonna to leave that there for you. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else we wanted to talk about with this episode? 
No, I think we we covered it. I think that there was some um, one final thing. I I got a lot of like solo vibes with the whole chain code situation. It yeah. reminded me a lot of when Kira and Han were trying to leave Corellia in the beginning of Solo. I think there was a, a lot of like purposeful established tension there that reflected upon that situation in Solo, which made me think about like was there a chain code situation that they had to get in Solo, and was that the connection there? Was that the same situation? I bet it was. Uh, and I just hadn't really thought about that before. And I really like that reference or reflection. It's not really a reference, but a reflection. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It did feel very solo and like waiting to pass through the inspection. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode all about Cut and Run from the Bad Batch episode two. I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far and that we've all had a great May the 4th week couple of days, whatever it ends up being. <laughs> I hope we've made it to the other side, like with some sort of sleep schedule and our wallets intact. I know. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I know. Definitely, <laughs> wallet is definitely not intact wallet, by Friday, yeah. May yeah. 7th. Yeah. Uh, sleep schedule is 100% not intact. We know this. <laughs> I mean, Coffee just, intake is through the roof. Through the roof. <laughs> through the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> If you want to find us online to talk about this episode or anything else related to Star Wars, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Flesher. We also have our Instagram, our website, SkytalkersCom, Facebook, email, also our TikTok account, which is new, and we're posting over there. So you can check that out uh, if you're on TikTok too. And uh, if you have not left us a review yet on iTunes, we would really love it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support Sky Talkers, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. Yes, absolutely. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Marty, Mary, Megan, Nathan, Neil, Nora, Paul, Sam, Sarah, Shelby, Shelbo, Cherie, Sophie, Spencer, Suki, Susanna, Suara, Thomas, and Z. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Mm-hmm.